Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Supreme Court Associate Justice Stephen Breyer has announced that he will retire from the court at the end of the current term. He has been on the Supreme Court since 1994. He was nominated by Bill Clinton and is therefore, of course, a radical leftist. His replacement is going to be announced by Joe Biden and will therefore, of course, also be a radical leftist. In this episode of Core Principles, we're going to examine why no leftist can possibly be legitimately qualified to be a justice on the Supreme Court. If that sounds at all like a surprising notion, I hope you'll consider the simple explanation that proves it with straightforward logic and principles. It is not a personal observation, nor even a matter of mere opinion. It's the truth, whether obvious or not yet obvious. Of course, Joe Biden has distracted from the appropriate consideration of what actual character qualities a Supreme Court justice must have. Instead, Joe Biden has said the only things that matter to him as baseline considerations for his nominee are sex and race. Joe Biden obviously hates the famous dream of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In August of 1963, Dr. King gave a speech that was probably his most famous and most inspirational in front of about a quarter of a million attendees, a speech which was recorded and has been replayed so often that surely everyone has at least some familiarity with it. I'm going to quote just a few excerpts from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. In a sense, Dr. King said, We've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. I say to you today, my friends, even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Now to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream, I say, Amen. But to that beautiful dream, Joe Biden and all leftists in America continue to say, Come on, man. No way. Joe Biden is both a sexist and a racist. Shame on him and on anyone who aligns with him. Meanwhile, 
the point I'm going to clarify in this episode is that no leftist can be qualified to be a Supreme Court justice because of what leftism is and what the mission and function of the Supreme Court is. I do, however, want to highlight an observation about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech. He recognized that America was founded from the very beginning on the principle of equality for all, and America was unique in all of human history to that point for that wonderful principle. If you'd like to know more about that great history of this wonderful and great nation, please revisit the recent episodes of this program, Core Principles, in which I interviewed Tim Barton, the president of Wall Builders. Now, regarding the fact that no leftist can legitimately be considered qualified to be a justice on the Supreme Court, we need to have a common and accurate understanding of what leftism is and what the mission and function of the Supreme Court is. Then we'll be able to observe very easily how those things are utterly incompatible. What is leftism? In simple terms, it's tyranny. It's totalitarianism. But wait, you say, surely not. Well, to prove this simple truth, I ask you to consider what the political spectrum itself is and what it must be. The political spectrum must have two baseline qualities for it to have any purpose or meaning. The first of the baseline qualities is that the political spectrum must measure the parameter of greatest importance to citizens regarding our relationship to the government. And the second baseline quality is that the opposite ends of the spectrum must actually be opposites. That's simple, right? So let's apply those simple baseline qualities. The parameter of greatest importance to citizens regarding our relationship to the government is this. How much control and involvement does the central government have in my life? That's obviously the most important parameter, and I hope it's clearly obvious to all. Now, what are the opposite extremes of that most important parameter? Those will be the opposite ends of the political spectrum, of course. One extreme regarding how much control government has is total control. And the opposite extreme is therefore obviously no control. By convention, since before the founding of this country, the former extreme, total control, was placed on the left side of the political spectrum, and the latter extreme was on the right side. Total control by the government, which is leftism, includes such forms of government as communism, socialism, national socialism, fascism, any totalitarian form of government by any name. No government control would be what is called anarchy, and by convention, that is the extreme right. Now, hopefully, it is obvious that extreme right is equally disastrous and horrific as extreme left. 
But the founders of this nation knew and understood that all governments everywhere in the world throughout all of history never tend naturally to shrink towards no control, but always tend naturally to grow in their involvement in citizens' lives. Thus, the dangerous trend is always toward the left. If you need to think of this in an even simpler way, consider that you have never seen anarchists running for elected office. So since the founders of this nation were trying to get away from totalitarianism, they established a government that should have strictly limited control over citizens' lives. Initially, they made what they called the Articles of Confederation, and those would have been placed quite far to the right on the political spectrum compared to any other government in the world. But too far right is too far indeed. The Articles of Confederation were impractical and unworkable. The framers of the Constitution of the United States recognized that the central or federal government would need certain authority. And so they enumerated certain limited powers for the federal government. And then the framers of the Constitution set the definitive blockade against the always present tendency for governments to slide toward the left. That blockade or safeguard is the Tenth Amendment, which tells the federal government they can do nothing beyond what the Constitution requires of them. Amendment 10 says, quote, The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Anyone who seeks to violate that safeguard by expanding the involvement and authority of the federal government is by definition an enemy of the United States Constitution and also by definition or at least long-established convention, such persons are leftists. One does not have to be all the way to the extreme of being a dictator to be a leftist, but obviously all dictators are leftists. Now we need to have a common understanding of the function and the purpose of the United States Supreme Court. Here it is as plainly and simply as I can state it. The purpose of the United States Supreme Court is to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States from any changes away from the original intent of its writers except such changes which come through the amendment process. That hopefully sounds simple and direct. It is the key point in this proof that I'm presenting in this episode. So I'm going to repeat it. The purpose of the United States Supreme Court is to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States from any changes away from the original intent of its writers, except such changes which come through the amendment process. Now, given that purpose, that function, that mission of the United States Supreme Court, and given the fact that leftism represents the very changes the framers of the Constitution were so definitively guarding against, and given that leftism is also aligned in modern parlance with so-called progressivism, and given that the progress which progressive seeks 
is to fundamentally transform this nation away from its foundational constitutional principles, then it is true and obvious that no leftist, no so-called progressive, can possibly be legitimately qualified to be a justice on the Supreme Court of the United States. Quod erat demonstrandum, as they would say in court. Nevertheless, in spite of the proven true fact that no leftist can possibly be legitimately qualified to be a justice on the United States Supreme Court, it is sadly also true that Joe Biden will nominate a leftist, and the Senate will almost certainly confirm that nominee to become an associate justice. The issues to consider about any such decision are correctly focused on principles and character related to the function of the court and the meaning of the Constitution as amended. But in spite of that, you can be certain Joe Biden has assured that the majority of media coverage about the nomination and confirmation will be in opposition to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream and will instead focus on the unchangeable intrinsic attributes, gender and race. That's a shame. A person of either gender or of any race could be qualified to be a justice or could be disqualified by failure to align with the mission of the court. But Biden and his party members frequently focus only on the meaningless and not the meaningful considerations. As we wrap up this brief statement about the Supreme Court nomination upcoming, it's worth a closing word about why the leftists in the Democratic Party in America are so focused on the judicial branch always. You may have noticed they lose their minds when a justice is confirmed who actually believes in the Constitution as amended, and they try all manner of slimy, slanderous tricks to derail such nominees. You may also have noticed they want to pack the court with as many extra justices that will tilt the balance away from the Constitution and towards anti-constitutional leftism. There are reasons for their almost comically wicked behavior in these matters. The main reason has to do with what is commonly called judicial activism. The Constitution of the United States divides the limited powers of the federal government into three branches, legislative, executive, judicial. The legislative branch most directly represents us as citizens, and they make the laws. The executive enforces the laws, and the judicial branch checks to ensure the laws don't exceed the limited scope and authority established by the Constitution. We've already seen how leftists and so-called progressives oppose that principle and seek to grow central government's involvement in citizens' lives. But they don't stop at merely passing laws in the legislative branch if they can get away with that, nor at having the judicial branch fail to perform its function of checking against such laws remaining within the constitutional bounds. They take it even further by having the judicial branch effectively 
legislate from the bench. This is especially important to leftists because they recognize the things they want are opposed by everyone who loves the land of liberty, and the things they want are disallowed by the Constitution of the United States. So they have to push the things they want through the judicial branch one way or the other. The Constitution of the United States is the best government document yet devised by us imperfect human beings for establishing a nation where liberty at least has a chance to survive. I pray Americans will defend it and will uphold the principles of liberty. Now it's time for our special historical segment featuring a practical example of how core principles are applied. For today's historical example of core principles, we're going all the way back in history to approximately 1,450 years before Christ. This is the scene in the book of Exodus, chapter 3. Now, Moses was guarding the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Side note, this is now known as Mount Sinai. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burning up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to Moses from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then God said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face in fear. So this is obviously a significant event, not only in the life of Moses, but in the entire history of humanity. God obviously had an important purpose for getting Moses' attention so miraculously and so spectacularly. We often refer to the still, small voice we perceive when we recognize God as communicating something to us. But this was not still nor small. This was loud and huge. God had a mission for Moses, and it was to go directly to the Pharaoh of Egypt and demand that he release the people of Israel from slavery. Moses did not want to do this, being obviously overwhelmed and afraid, so he gave some of the same kinds of excuses that we would probably give. But God was going to motivate Moses to do his will, of course. But a very interesting thing happened in this conversation, beyond these obviously interesting and meaningful things. Moses took the opportunity to ask God a question. Moses asked God, what is your name? Can you imagine that? The creator of the universe, the lawgiver over all, the source of 
everything has chosen to speak directly and unmistakably to you and you interject into that conversation in which God is giving you an overwhelmingly challenging mission, a question, what's your name? Well, God answered Moses in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Wow. There's so much in this unpronounceable sequence of four Hebrew characters, which we typically see in our English language alphabet as Y-H-W-H. One definition I've seen says it can mean he who causes that which is to be and he who causes that which cannot be to fall. That's certainly descriptive. If you've heard the name Yahweh, that's a typical attempt to pronounce it. Even the more common Jehovah is an attempt to pronounce it. But scholars and rabbis have noted that the letters YHWH represent breathing sounds, what they call aspirated consonants. When pronounced without intervening vowels, it actually sounds like breathing. YH sounds like inhaling. WH sounds like exhaling. Did you get that? The name of God is the sounds we all make with every breath we take. A baby's first cry, his first breath, speaks the name of God. A deep sigh calls his name. A groan or a gasp that's too heavy for mere words is calling out to God. Even atheists speak his name unaware their very breath is giving constant acknowledgement to the Creator, God. Consider what Paul told the Romans about how we sometimes don't even know what to pray. In Romans chapter 8, Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans or sighs. Isn't that amazing? Our most desperate prayers, in which we can only breathe, are calls directly to God using his name. Wow. What do we do when we gear ourselves up for a challenging task? We take a deep breath and then exhale it loudly. In doing this, we're literally shouting to God. And that makes perfect sense because without him, we can do nothing. Our time on this earth literally ends when we stop praising the name of God with every breath. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.